House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome to another show, uh, the House of Mystery on KKNW 1150 AM Seattle and KCAA 106.5 FM Los Angeles. Now, I'm Al Warren, and of course, in the background working the equipment is Kev Thompson. Hey, everybody, it's me. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Finally, the sun is shining in Seattle, which is a change. Can't believe the rain, which took out all the smoke, which is good. Um, now, everybody, don't forget that uh, you can check out all of our guests and information at somethingweirdmedia.com, as well as the books. And um, follow us also on Twitter or Facebook. Okay. So, oh, now, uh, Kevin, just so you, um, I have to say, last night um, there was a lady, a passenger, uh, that got on the flight here, and uh, she had a support animal. Oh, but they kicked her off. Actually, have you seen it? They actually dragged her right off. Why? Why would they do that? <laughs> um, because she had a emotional support squirrel. <laughs> oh, wow. Are you serious? I, I mean, I don't mean to laugh. Ha ha. But it's funny. Ha ha. Um, a, 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 I don't know. Did it have the little jacket emotional support squirrel? I mean. You know, well, you know, I didn't. <laughs> they just showed her being dragged off. I really don't know, and I don't know why it has to get so serious. I, I I'd imagine she has some sort of issue, and that's why she's gone. Well, but, I mean, most people do dogs, right? Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, why? Okay, why <laughs> would that be an issue with the safety of the aircraft? Because usually, you know, as a law enforcement officer, that's usually the complaint. Well, this yeah. is a, a danger to the safety of the aircraft. But what is a squirrel going to do? I mean, the pilots are, are behind locked doors. Well, I don't know. But, you know, we've got a guest today that's uh, quite honored to have. I even come back for my holidays. This is a thrill. And we'll, we'll ask him if he knows. But um, uh, the other thing I have to mention, of course, is that in the that the that all of our weird news comes from Seattle PI. And... Um, I, I guess uh, we're ta- we've been talking about uh, Julie Chen Moonves and and her situation now, you know, with less Moonves and all the problems and that. So she keeps on dropping all of her shows. Remember, she left the talk because she didn't want to yes. talk. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> so she called the show the non-talk. Um, <laughs> I feel bad. I, no, I feel bad for her because I, there's no win for her now. So... Um, but this brings up, a, and this is why our guest, this brings up an excellent thing, because he's been a, a, an incredible lawyer. I'm, I'm thrilled to have him here. And like I said, I, I even come in off my days because this is a great, great person. So we have Tom Mesereau with us. Um, let's just jump into it. Welcome, Tom. Well, well, thank you for having me. It's my privilege. You know, I, I was going to ask. You know, when we get into these, because I know that you have a good good verse on this or a good comments on this um, about because you've done the Bill Cosby trial, the uh, Michael Jackson and and now with Julie Moonves and all this stuff, people really get into uh, um, convicting 
these people uh, without really knowing the facts because they're not in the trial. Well, I think any time in American society or American history, <clears throat> we have had very strong social and political movements, I think because we're all human beings and subject to passion, emotion, movement, uh, we have to be very careful and step back and make sure that what's moving us is not in contradiction to what the facts and the law suggest. Um, it's not new in America for society to be very impassioned, um, very, very emotional, and with a good purpose. I support the Me Too movement. I always have. I think that anything that militates against sexual harassment, sexual abuse, sexual assault, sexual inequality is very important. The problem is that when movements take charge, sometimes our ability to defend ourselves goes out the door. If you are accused of something that maybe you didn't do or maybe you did something but not exactly what you're accused of. So these are the kinds of periods in American society where our law gets tested and our concern for fairness gets tested. And I'm very proud to be a criminal defense lawyer, which means I'm one of the people who try to keep things in check, keep things balanced, and keep things fair. Uh, exactly. I, I appreciate that totally. And and I think that, that we need lawyers like you. I think that's that's great. I, I just, I question the thought that things get televised. And I know you were against that in the Michael, Michael Jackson trial. And I think it affects... Everybody involved, like the, uh, I mean, how can you be on TV every day, like with O.J. Simpson, and they're watching every move and the tie you're wearing and the, the color of hair you've got, just everything goes on, and that's all that they talk about in the, in the mainstream. Well, I think that with the problem with televising trials is that witnesses will watch and see what other witnesses are saying or doing. They'll watch what critics and commentators are saying or doing, and suddenly it's not uh, what's happening in the courtroom that's important or influential, it's what's happening in the media. And the media has a very different set of goals, in my opinion, than we as lawyers do in the courtroom. The media is a cutthroat competitive business. They want ratings and they want revenue and they want excitement, they want sensationalism, whatever it is that propels their business. Uh, in the courtroom, it's a different story. Jurors are under oath. They watch and see and feel evidence for eight hours a day. They are instructed by the judge and how they're to behave, what they're to do and not do, what the law is that they're supposed to follow. It's truly a very different process. When the media intrudes, there's a possibility for distortion, exaggeration, and the wrong focus. So. Uh, I'm I'm not always against cameras in the courtroom. I was actually in favor of them when I was defending Robert Blake in his murder case. We had a three-week televised preliminary hearing. Uh, I felt that uh, we could show to the public that this was not the case the prosecution was making it out to be, and we did just that. He got bail in a murder with special circumstances case, which nobody had ever gotten in California, and nobody's gotten since. And we changed public opinion. But as you correctly said, in the Jackson case, I thought 
cameras would do nothing but turn what already was a, a difficult process uh, into a circus. I just didn't want that at all. Oh, boy, Tom, you said a mouthful there because I, I watched with rapt attention the Michael Jackson case, and I, I am slowly moving into the same camp as, as you and Al, where as a law enforcement officer, I want to know what's going on in the courtroom. I feel America deserves to know what's going on. However, with the way the media is polarized today, it seems like the news reports these cases with an agenda and society already comes up with a verdict before the jury does. Like going back to the Michael Jackson case, I watched with rapt attention and I was like, this this guy, as, as much as I loved him in the 80s, bought the jacket, bought the glove, but <laughs> I, I, I was sure he was guilty. Would you say that that was a fluke? I mean, look, here's why. Look at Kavanaugh. The media, I swear, had an agenda. And they reported it that way. And I think that, well, that, that's, I, that sways us. That sways us to one direction or the other. It really does. I mean, after the Michael Jackson acquittals, and he was acquitted 14 times, 10 felony charges, 4 misdemeanor charges, there were no convictions at all. Uh, I had lunch with Barry Gordy, the founder of Motown Records, and his family. And he said to me, he said, uh, you know, you cost the worldwide media billions of dollars when you acquitted us. And I hadn't really thought of it that way. But he said, look, this was the biggest star in the world, the best known person on the planet. All the media needed was the final chapter, which was to see him rise to the greatest height and then fall to the greatest depths, and you cut that off. You know, uh, some people don't like you for doing this. And, you know, it was kind of a sad commentary on where our justice system, you know, has come to, because I remember the week of jury deliberation. Many of the major stations were showing the jail cell every day where Michael Jackson was supposed to go. They were talking about what kind of a life he would lead, you know, when he would wake up, what food he would eat. Would he be allowed books to read? What would visiting hours be? I mean, would he be on suicide watch? I mean, it was just awful. Um, fortunately, the jury had character and decency, and they followed the judge's instructions and did what they thought was right, despite public pressure. But I don't think that happens every time. Well, well Tom, oftentimes, I mean, I'm sure the listeners know this, oftentimes the jury is sequestered. And they're away from the media and they're away from those influences. But uh, let me sidebar with this. Why would that be so important? I mean, to me, that's a terrible thought that we would want to see Michael Jackson rise to the greatest heights. And, and he was. He was the king of pop. You know, he was eccentric, of course. But why would we want to see him fall like that? To me, that just makes no sense. And, and like you said, it's very, very sad. Why the fascination with watching this man collapse? I think there's something, you know, inhumane or sadistic about people. Uh, I'm not saying that's all we are as human beings. We're capable of great things, too. But there's something about human nature that, that we like to see people rise to great heights and then splatter. Uh, it makes for great copy. It makes for a great story. It, it makes for excitement. 
I mean, on verdict day in the Michael Jackson case, when the last not guilty came down, I hugged Michael, and when I did that, I would look. I looked into the spectator gallery, and I saw the looks on all these media representatives when they came in the courtroom. They were sky high. They were. They had big excitement in their eyes, a glisten in their expressions. They just looked so excited. And then when the last not guilty came down, they all looked depressed. Uh, they just looked let down. The story was over. The excitement was ending. They now had to find something to fill the gaps of whatever they planned to do for the next few months as they worked their way up to what may have been the biggest sentencing in, in, in world history. I mean, it was very, very, it was a sad commentary on where we are. So um, I'm not in the media. You know, I deal with them, but I'm not in it. But I know that what generates excitement is not always what's best for humanity and doesn't always reflect the best qualities we as people have. It's the oh, same. You're ex yeah, you're exactly right, because we get that from the stations. Uh, you know, hopefully they're not listening. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, Robert Blake, um, how was that for you? Like, um, I, it was one of those things, again, that I really thought he was guilty because there was so little that we knew about it. Well, I mean, it was a, you know, the, the media made it a sensational murder case. And, you know, they immediately started hanging around his home and feeding sound bites you know, on a daily basis. And again, you know, uh, if you have a day of testimony, that's about eight hours. You know, the jury is sitting there under oath uh, throughout that period. But what is the media reporting? They're reporting quick sound bites. They can't accurately capsulize everything that happened, including all the nuances in the courtroom. So, I mean, they'll report generally what they think is important. Now, in the Blake preliminary hearing, we had Court TV who reported everything gavel to gavel. Uh, even if it was dull or monotonous, they reported it. So that was a different ball game than most of these trials, which are really, uh, even if they're going to put cameras in the courtroom, they're not going to cover it gavel to gavel. They're going to take you back and forth to, make, to lend some excitement to what sometimes is a dull, monotonous process. Um, it's a real dilemma, if you ask me. Uh, our trials are supposed to be public, but what does public mean? Does it mean let a camera in and let them just filter what happens as they choose? Or does it mean if you come in, you've got to report everything? It's, it's a difficult dilemma. Go ahead. Well, I, again, I, I think it's all about ratings. Because, you know, back in the day, and, and I've sat in on, on capital trials, you know, and, and you'll let so many reporters in, you know, from your local channels, you know, your 19s, your 48s, your 31s. And, you know, people trust them to give them the news. But in today's society, you know, I mean, I mean, very, very recently, Tom, you know, people don't trust the news. They don't trust the Foxes. They don't trust the CNNs, the, you know, MSNBCs. They don't trust them. So they want to see it for themselves. You know, let let me watch. Let me come to my own conclusions because I think you have an agenda. Uh, I mean, is that a fair statement? I think that is. Uh, again, the problem with even sensational trials 
you know, a, a lot of what goes on from morning till night is sometimes dull. You know, sometimes it's legalistic type of arguments in front of a judge that don't lend themselves to great, you know, great drama or excitement. Sometimes you have routine witnesses who, you know, do what we say. We call it laying a foundation to introduce a document, explaining why the document should come into evidence, why it's relevant, why it's authentic, why it's real. You know, these things can be kind of dull, and objections can make things dull and make (laughs) things drag on. But we do all of this to try and ensure the maximum amount of fairness in our system. Um, and, and our laws and procedures are continually evolving. They're continually changing, hopefully, to try and make things more fair. Um, but things are never going to be consistently exciting in a courtroom. So then, as I said before, what do you filter in and what do you filter out? Uh, I mean, I remember in the Jackson case, I would come home to my, my condo, take a break and turn on the TV and they'd be reporting on what's the salacious thing some witness said on direct examination and never mention the cross-examination where the witness got destroyed and their credibility, you know, just ruined. They would ignore that and just simply report the sensational stuff. You're so, right. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very difficult process to try and figure out in terms of a solution because uh, unless you're in there, you don't feel, see, and hear everything. Um, and the media has their agenda, which I don't believe is justice. I think it's ratings. I think it's, it's revenue. I think it's excitement. Um, uh, I, I'm not trying to knock them more than I need to, but their goal is not justice and fairness. Their goal is something else, I believe. It is. Yeah, not us. <laughs> 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 not us. Not us. We're we're trying. We always try to find the truth. And 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 you know, I I want to make sure um, listeners understand that uh, you have a free legal clinic, and you've been donating a lot of time um, to a lot of pro bono cases, and 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 I think people have to realize that it's 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 that's something I don't think they realize. Uh, what I'm saying is they probably know you as a high-profile lawyer, and they think that you're probably, um, you know, very rich and a big high-end lawyer. Uh, but you do a lot of free work. I do. I mean, I, I um, you know, since I graduated from law school, which was in 1979, uh, the polls have consistently shown that the vast majority of lawyers, uh, while they might make a good living, while they might have obtained a lot of things they wanted in life, are not necessarily fulfilled. And I decided many years ago that pro bono work, volunteering at free legal clinics at churches, uh, now I have my own free clinic in South Los Angeles, where a couple of days a month, lawyers, law students, judges, college students, activists, donate their time to help disadvantaged people. I discovered that I got as much out of it or more than anybody else and that my spirit, my soul just just were benefited in a way that practicing law couldn't do it. So uh, I've been doing doing this for decades. And I always say when it comes to pro bono work, nobody's the loser. Everybody wins. The people who need assistance or guidance or advice, they win. The lawyers, the law students, the judges, the activists, the college students, the volunteers, 
they gain too. So it's something I really believe in, but I never describe it like just I'm some Mother Teresa type. I want people to know that (laughs) I benefit from this too. Right. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was uh, worth mentioning because I don't think people understand that. And I think that shows a true love for what you do because when you do things, um, you do get benefit. It's not money, but you get benefit from doing it. And it's, it's about the love of what you do. Well, you know, I speak at schools quite a bit, uh, public high schools, and I like to encourage students to consider being attorneys. And I'll go to a high school in the inner city, and nobody's ever suggested to any of the students, would you like to be a lawyer? Would you consider being a lawyer? You can make an impact on society. You can really change, you know, things that are not good. You can, can you know, put value into people's lives uh, who've been devalued because of their income or their race or where they live or how little educated they are. You can really make a difference. And I always find when I do that, kids come up to me after class and say, nobody ever told me I could be a lawyer. Do you really think I can be one? You know, and it's just amazing to, to, to see what a little bit of encouragement uh, can mean. And my father was a West Point graduate. He didn't go to law school, but he always said to me, if you don't really know what you want to do in life, consider it because you'll have a lot of options. You'll have more options than most degrees give you. And he was absolutely correct. I didn't know when I got out of law school I was going to be a criminal defense attorney. I tried corporate law. I tried civil, tried civil litigation. I tried a lot of things. And uh, I would encourage uh, any listeners who are thinking about being lawyers, Look into it. Try it out. I think it's a great thing to have under your belt. Well, what was your influence as you go around influencing others? What was your influence or what inspired you to go into law? Well, my father, as I said before, you know, opened the door for me. He didn't push it. He just said it's something to really consider because you can shift gears. You can try different ways of living, different ways of, 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 of operating in society with a law degree. And he was correct because, as I said before, I tried corporate law. I tried civil litigation. I was a prosecutor for a while. And, you know, everything was interesting. But the question was, where would I find passion? And I'm someone who uh, likes to fight elitism, likes to fight privilege, uh, likes to stand up for people who, you know, don't have a lot of power under their belt. And uh, there's nothing better than the courtroom to try and fight for what's right. And, you know, I learned criminal defense lawyers are not very well understood. Uh, We've been fighting for what's right since the beginning of our our nation. I mean, you know, we go to to school, we read our history books, we read about the Boston Massacre where British troops killed innocent people. Um, What we don't read about is that all these British troopers, uh, you know, were rounded up and charged with murder. And a future president, John Adams, a well-known criminal defense lawyer in Boston, said, wait a second, they're not all guilty. This is the passion. This is the emotion of the moment, you know, rounding people up and arresting them. And he volunteered to defend a lot of these young British troopers who were acquitted, who were not guilty, who hadn't murdered anyone. Um, and And criminal lawyers have been doing that since the beginning of our country and not always uh, well liked in the process. Um, So I'm very proud to be a criminal defense attorney. I feel very blessed I found this this profession. 
and I stand by it. We're not always well-liked. What we do isn't always easy, and we, we fight the mob. We fight political power. We fight all sorts of things. But I think in the end, we make our society a lot more free. So in, in light of what you said earlier, you said that you were in support of the Me Too movement. Um, let's go ahead and segue into the Cosby case. Um, wow. I mean, I don't even know where to start there. Uh, tell well, us about, about uh, your introduction to this. Well, it was a great honor and privilege to defend Mr. Cosby in a situation where he was being attacked left and right morning, noon, and night in the media, uh, where we have a very, very uh, influential movement, the Me Too movement, that is based on very good principles, principles being that women have been subjected to harassment, abuse, oppression, inequality for many years. NIF have to stop. The problem is that in the Bill Cosby case, I think this movement ended up affecting our justice system in a way that was grossly unfair. I mean, Mr. Cosby went to trial, the, the, the jury hung, the judge allowed one other, what we call 404B witness, someone who claimed he had done something similar to her on another occasion to testify. Because the jury hung and because they were retrying the case, he now decided he let five people in. So you had women testifying that 30 years ago uh, in various locations, he did things that were improper. You know, how do you investigate something that happened 30 years ago? <laughs> something that was never reported to, was never reported to the police. You don't know who the person was at the time. You don't know, you know, who the witnesses were or where they are or what they remember. And to let these accusers come in and influence the case at hand was highly improper. But it was far worse than that. I mean... The case wasn't even filed in time. There, there's what is called a statute of limitation, which requires mm -hmm. a case to be filed within a certain period of time for the very reasons I just expressed. You know, you've got to give someone a chance to investigate, to go back to what happened. I mean, and, and determine who someone really was and whether these things really happened or whether they believe it happened, but it didn't. And to, to let in these other accusers in cases that were never filed, never prosecuted, was absurd. But uh, in my opinion, it was all done to appease, you know, people who were just very against Bill Cosby. Uh, you had the judge, his wife is a highly respected counselor for victims of sexual abuse. We proved she had actually arranged to raise a, a financial contribution to a group that was planning to protest against us in front of the courthouse. He wouldn't recuse himself. A prior district attorney had agreed not to prosecute Mr. Cosby, <clears throat> didn't think the case should be followed through. His opponent for DA was the current judge, uh, the prior DA who agreed and testified under oath that he agreed not to, not to go after Mr. Cosby, <clears throat> was subjected to a hearing in front of his old opponent, uh, the current trial judge, who ruled that he wasn't credible. I mean, all sorts of ridiculous things happened in that trial. Our cross-examination was cut off. One juror complained that another juror made an anti-Cosby statement. That oh, wow. juror wasn't removed. On, I can't go. On I the can't jury. tell you. I can't tell you how many issues there were in this case. And, and my approach, I'm not trying to knock any of these accusers. What I'm saying is he deserved a fair trial, 
And in this era of Me Too, he didn't get one at all. At all. Wow. Oh, what do you, what, so what are you hoping happens with this? Um, I, I know that he's gone into an appeal. So, Yeah, I'm hoping the appeal is successful. I don't see how any rational, responsible, fair appellate court can uphold an unfair trial like this. And I haven't even given you all the information. I mean, you know, as I said before, you've got by law, you've got to file a case within a certain period of time. We prove meticulously that this case, that that, that the, the, the accuser who said the case happened or the events happened at a particular time, it couldn't have happened at that time. We went through all of her phone records, his phone records, his travel itineraries, his flight plans. Uh, we proved on, on the very days that there was testimony this happened, it couldn't possibly have happened. And we proved that the case couldn't possibly have been filed in a timely basis, and the judge wouldn't even have a hearing on it, wouldn't even rule on it. Um, I've never seen a trial like this. I've been trying cases for decades all over the country, and I've never seen anything so unfair as this. It just seemed that the judge and the powers that be wanted a sensational trial and wanted a high-profile conviction, and uh, it, it was a disgrace as far as I'm concerned. Wow. So, um, but how do you how do you convince that to... To, to change like he's got such an uh, there's such a negative impression right now of bill cosby um anytime you mention him or talk about him um uh, people are pretty much really down on him well i understand that but they were down on michael jackson too i mean i had colleagues who told me do not take this case do not defend it he's been cooked in the in the in the world of public opinion all over the world you can't win it and when you lose it, everywhere you go in the world, people are going to say, he sent Michael Jackson to prison. Uh, he's the reason Michael Jackson died in prison. And I had so many colleagues tell me that. Uh, I sat back and I said, well, who am I? And, you know, I'm Tom Mesereau. I'm a criminal defense lawyer. This is what I do. I don't buckle under public opinion. <laughs> I don't just take safe, safe cases, easy cases. That's not what I do. That's not who I am. So I took the case. And unfortunately... The truth prevailed, and, and he was acquitted, despite the fact that nobody thought it was possible. It brought many benefits to me, but I can tell you that going into it, everyone said I was nuts, that I knew. Um, but again, you need, you need to look at we as criminal defense lawyers. We don't buckle under public opinion. We don't buckle under public pressure. We go into court to make sure the laws are applied fairly, and we fight for justice. And I think we've had more to do with equality and fairness in our society than people realize. You know, a lot of people forget history in America. I mean, there was a time when it was a misdemeanor for a white to kill a black. At the same time, it was a felony for a black to kill a white. Um, it used, it, there was a period of time where blacks could not testify against whites in courts of law in America. I mean, we've had so many horrendous, horrific, unfair laws that were justified by very educated judges and scholars. You know, our, 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 you know, look how we treated Native Americans. I mean, this country has a history of doing many 
inhumane, unfair things. And the ones who always were there to fight against it as best they could were criminal defense lawyers and civil rights lawyers. So I know a lot of what we do is, is not popular. I know that defending Bill Cosby wasn't popular in this era of Me Too, but it was my great honor and privilege to stand up for him and to fight as well as I could. I had a great team, mostly women, fighting for Bill Cosby. And uh, I think the truth will come out, and I think this verdict will be overturned. Now, Tom, the, the question begs to be asked, though, and, and we're at a mixed opinion here. <laughs> how, how much do you think that the celebrity thing plays into this? Uh, for example, let's go back to Michael Jackson. And, and, and I'm trying to weigh celebrity power versus social pressure. Back then, you know, Michael Jackson, he was, a, he was a huge figure. He was the king of pop. And, I mean, everybody loved Michael Jackson. So, uh, eventually, throughout the five-month trial, he was found not guilty. Today, we've got Bill Cosby, who I, I loved Bill Cosby. You know, Fat Albert and Dr. Huxtable. You know, he was a huge celebrity. But it seemed to be that... In public, he was saying things that were socially unpopular at the time, you know, giving, given the culture. So, well, let, let me let me let me sort of go back into into time a little bit, because since Michael Jackson was acquitted, uh, and because he had a lot of fans supporting uh, him during the trial, I think a lot of people have forgotten what he was charged with. I mean, I went on. Uh, you know, year, a number of years ago, the O'Reilly show on Fox News and O'Reilly said to me words to the effect, well, he wasn't the charges against him weren't that bad. Right. And oh, I said, well, maybe you forgot. Lord. Maybe you've forgotten what they were. He was charged with giving alcohol to a cancer stricken child to prepare the child to be molested. Yeah, he, right. was charged right. with, he was charged with conspiracy to abduct children falsely imprison a family, and commit criminal extortion. And the evidence they tried to prove was, was that he was a diabolical monster. That's what they tried to prove. And fortunately, it didn't, it didn't succeed because it wasn't true. But, I mean, at the time, Michael Jackson was being vilified everywhere. Saturday Night Live was making fun of him every night. Jay Leno was making fun of him every night. Uh, the false reporting about what was happening in the courtroom was... was just diabolical as far as I was concerned. So if you transport yourself back into time during that trial, he was really being portrayed for the most part as a villain, a really evil villain. I mean, I've always said to people, I think being charged with child molestation is worse than being charged with murder. Oh, you're, and now, you're absolutely to, right. You know, when it comes to Bill Cosby, this Me Too movement, which, again, I support, you know, but I think it's gone to... A, a, ridiculous extremes i think had reached the point where the press had vilified bill so much and the powers that be in pennsylvania wanted to win a high profile trial so badly that nobody seemed to care uh whether there was fairness in the courtroom or not i mean you know prosecutors are not allowed to personally vouch those are words of art you can't look at a jury and say i personally looked at this or i personally investigated this prosecutor in that case did it. I objected. We wanted a mistrial. We couldn't get it. Two of the young prosecutors have already joined high-paying civil firms. 
they've kind of gotten what they needed. I mean, you know, the, the DA wanted to win a big case. He has. And, you know, it's going to probably take a couple of years for an appeal to work its way through. And who knows what benefits, you know, he and the judge will have obtained before an appeal is even ruled on. So it was a very, very depressing, discouraging example of how unfairness in our system can result from a powerful social movement, in my opinion. As I say, I'm not here to knock any accuser. Uh, I'm just here to say he didn't get a fair trial and he deserves one because everybody deserves one. Oh, no. It, it, here's what I'm speaking to, though, is the state of culture today. And if I had to boil boil down my thoughts, it's that back then Michael Jackson, although he was uh, accused of the worst of the worst crimes, you know, l let's just boil it down to pedophilia. But he had enough star power. He had enough celebrity power. He had enough backers and supporters that it got him beyond that. Whereas Bill Cosby, if we put him on a level playing field, you know, he was he was the father of America, you know, and I'm air quoting. But at the time, he was saying things that was counterculture to the black culture, which kind of already began to diminish his character. Whereas when the Me Too movement hit him and began to accuse him of these crimes, he had lost that backing. So would you say it's more social pressure or more celebrity power? I mean, it, do, you, do you see where I'm going? Well, but, but again, I think because Michael prevailed and because he was vindicated, um, I think people tend to look back at that time period with a rosy colored lens that wasn't exactly accurate. I mean, Michael was being accused of, of, of being a serial pedophile. He was being accused of having done this before and paid off witnesses. He was accused of all sorts of horrendous things. Um, and a lot of the media was going along with it. I mean, the British media particularly was just brutal. But yes, he did have a big fan base around the world, thank God. And fortunately, sanity came into the courtroom. I think in the case of Bill Cox, I think the Me Too movement and the after effects of it so overtook our system so polluted everything you know that we would see when we turned on television i mean listen bill cosby spent between 100 and 200 million dollars on social causes he saved mm -hmm. black colleges that were going under financially i can't tell you how many people this man put through college and graduate school people you don't even know about they, they came to his attention. He wanted to help society. He did so much to get the media to even talk about it uh, before or during that trial was impossible. They didn't want to talk about the good aspects of Bill Cosby. They didn't want to talk about how generous he had been for decades to try and help the black community, to help poor people, to help the cause of equality in America. They didn't want to talk about what a civil rights icon he was. And yes, he did make some controversial comments in the black community about he wanted men to be work harder, be better right. fathers. Uh, he did a lot of things. He wanted to encourage the black community to emphasize the family more than he felt they had been doing. And these things did generate some controversy. But, but you know, they but were founded in a desire. Yeah, they, they were founded in a desire to improve his people, improve America, improve African-American society. Nobody wanted to talk about that 
when th- this case was brought, all the media wanted was salacious stuff and stuff that was unproven, stuff that was from 40 years ago. 40 years ago, somebody says he did something at a party that was inappropriate. How are you supposed to check it out? How are you supposed to defend yourself from stuff like that? So um, has Me Too changed how we deal with justice? I mean, after the uh, Cosby and even from Jackson right through till now with Kavanaugh, um, what, what's your thought on that? Well, listen, again, I, 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 I tend to be liberal in my political and legal views. Uh, I, once in a while, I'm conservative uh, on a particular topic. I didn't like the fact that the Republicans didn't give Judge Garland a fair hearing when President Obama appointed him to the Supreme Court. I thought that was wrong. And I think the way the Democrats treated Brett Kavanaugh was absolutely wrong. If they had a complaint, they knew they knew the time constraints involved. They should have investigated that complaint, and they would have concluded that the accuser, while she may have believed what she was saying was true, was not backed up by any of the other witnesses she says were there. So why just wait till the why wait till the end when you know there's a time deadline and look like you're just trying to delay things? And why just throw a lot of mud until you've thoroughly investigated something that you could have done? I don't like the way Republicans handled Garland. I don't like the way Democrats handled Kavanaugh. You know, I think that both are examples of political uh, injustice, I call it. Oh, exactly. I agree. I'm I'm the one on the show that... uh is uh, right behind your thoughts. <laughs> this, uh, that my cohort there isn't. But, uh, I'm, uh, I'm kind of all over the place. <laughs> I, 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 but I, you know, but this concerns me in the fact that so many people are being accused and really being um, thrown under the bus, like right away. Right away, without any due process, any chance to defend themselves any chance to investigate the allegations. I mean, all of a sudden, people are being... Somebody comes up from 30 years ago and says somebody did something, and they're fired. Now, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes in these corporations or organizations. Maybe more is going on than I realize. But something's wrong with this. You know, we have... When I give closing arguments in criminal cases, I always make a point to tell juries, I think we have the best criminal justice system in the world. I haven't seen one that's as good. You know, I've looked around the world. You have judges who make render verdicts who are political appointees. Some of them, you, you have three judges, all of them with political agendas. I mean, in America, we do more than anybody else to make trials fair. Um, nevertheless, we've had over 300 people released from death verdicts, life sentences, long prison sentences because DNA exonerated them. How many have gone to prison when there was no DNA to test and they weren't guilty at all? And one thing I do know is that human beings tend to remember certain things about what they see or observe. And with time, we have a tendency to fill in the gaps of what we want to believe. And, you know, this accuser of Judge Kavanaugh may really believe that it's him that did whatever was done. She may honestly believe that. She may not be lying. But this was, you know, how many decades ago? 
And what chance did he have to find witnesses to defend himself? It was just broadcast on international television. Here he was, a good family man with, with a wonderful wife and two daughters, who, from what everything I can see, is living a very, very solid you know, life, uh, teaching kids, being an example to others. I don't know what happened when he was in high school or college. Um, you know, he's not the only one that drank too much on occasion um, when he was in high school or college. That shouldn't disqualify you for the rest of your life. But to take that to the level of sexual assault, you've got to have proof. You can't just accuse someone and destroy them without some proof. Well, and it, we're, we're living in this. The, the accusation alone seems to be destroying people and Again, I want to emphasize, I favor Me Too. I favor advances against sexual inequality, sexual assault, sexual harassment. A lot of this nonsense has gone on for too long, but we can't throw out fairness in the process. Well, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I also, to some extent, I support Me Too. But when it's applied judiciously, is that not the whole point of the statute of limitations is that <laughs> We do really stupid stuff when we're young because that's what youth is for. Let's get all the craziness out of the way. Then we'll get on with our mature lives. Well, I absolutely agree with you. But if someone comes into court and says, Bill Cosby did this to me 30 or 40 years ago, what are we supposed to do? How do we find the witness who is, witnesses who are at the party? How do we find out who this person really was? Maybe they were a different person 30 or 40 years ago, the accuser, that is. How do we find out what they were doing with their time, what values they had? How do we find out what they really did or didn't do or thought or didn't think? It, it just isn't fair to start bringing people from 30 years ago into a trial, which is about someone else's accusation, not about what went on in different parts of the country 40 years ago. It, it just it, it was a very, very unfair trial. And and one of these witnesses screamed out words to the effect he's a serial rapist. Oh, the boy. judge wouldn't grant a mistrial. Then another one screamed out, you know what you did to me. The judge wouldn't grant a mistrial. I mean, when you compound all of these problems, uh, it was the worst railroad job I've ever seen uh, to get a celebrity convicted and to reap whatever benefits you're going to get from that. It was really an abomination. I, I can't describe it any other way if I'm going to be honest. So, uh, man, Tom, we have covered a lot today, and we've just now scratched the surface. Um, wow. Uh, let me process here for just a second. So what's next for you? Uh, where are you going from here? Well, I'm always defending people charged with crimes. Um, uh, I have a big case in Texas coming out, coming up next year in a, in a white-collar case. I do both white-collar and, uh, you know, non-white collar trials i'm doing a I, I do a free murder case in alabama every year i've done it for the last 20 years uh it's part of my pro bono uh you know efforts uh, i always try to defend someone who wouldn't have the money to pay me and i'm doing one of those soon and uh i get calls every day people are in trouble and uh this is what i do so you're operating in my backyard i see that you had a a situation in bessemer here not too long ago Yes, uh, that was a high-profile murder case last year in Bessemer, uh, Bessemer, Alabama. Um, it was a very tragic case. A, uh, 
a wonderful father, an Iraqi war veteran, came out of his home at about 4 or 4.30 in the morning to exercise, and a number of uh, alleged gang members were breaking into cars, and the Iraqi war veteran was shot in the back and killed, uh, left his family uh, de- devastated, and they charged various young men uh, with, the, uh, with the murder. The first trial was uh, with my client, and uh, I put him on the stand. He said he had nothing to do with this, didn't want anything to do with a, with a shooting, and he was acquitted. It was a very controversial verdict and another very emotional you know, trial, but fortunately uh, we prevailed. Well, I am programming your phone number into my phone now because I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a law enforcement officer in Huntsville, so I may need your services. <laughs> okay. Well, well, there you go. <laughs> well, uh, Tom, it's just been great. We we absolutely love you here, and uh, and I hope you can come on again and and talk law anytime you have anything you want to get out there. Just let us know. We'd be more than pleased to have you on. Well, thank you very much. It's been a real privilege to be on the show, and you've asked some very very good questions, and um, uh, uh, it's been an honor. And I'd love to come back. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. Everybody have a great day. Thank you. Okay, perfect. Thank you. To find out more about our show, guests, or listen to a previous show, visit our website at www.somethingweirdmedia.com. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you! If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.